I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Johnson. Uh, today, I'm joined. We had a couple guests come on. So we have Joseph Lamania. He's going to be spending a lot more time on this podcast in 2024. Um, and with this, we want to have more kind of focused uh, conversations around golf. So we had a couple fun topics. Um, we had Kevin Clark from ESPN and uh, Omaha Productions. He is the host of the This Is Football podcast. He came on to do some golf NFL comps with the uh, NFL playoffs here. Uh, Kevin's a, he's a golf nut. He's a Club TFE member. He's a, you know, he he follows golf very religiously. And uh, so this was, it was a, it was fun to talk these NFL comps with, uh, with somebody that is uh, versed in golf as Kevin. Um, so that was the, uh, first part of this episode. And then the second part, we had PGA tours, Sean Martin on to discuss, uh, Hawaii and the start of the season. And, uh, then we got into kind of a detailed discussion about long putters and the, the wave that is kind of sweeping over the PGA tour. So let's get into it. Uh, we'll start with, uh, Kevin Clark, uh, on NFL, uh, PGA tour player and, uh, comps. So thanks to both of them. All right, we, we're going to welcome on the host of This is the Football. Uh, this is Football Podcast. <laughs> God, this is the football. What What is wrong with me? This is Football Podcast. That would Kevin. be an amazing title for a podcast. <laughs> this, this is, is the, the Football. football. <laughs> Kevin Clark. Also, uh, I guess you're a contributor for Around the Horn. It's amazing. That's that show came out when I was a kid, and I'd come home from school. You know, I I, I loved that show, and now you're on it. And I feel like it's it's just unbelievable. A that it's still running, the longevity of it, it's amazing, and B that you're on it. Um, Kevin Clark. Uh, you know, I guess you're ESPN Omaha Productions. Yeah, so I do it all. Thanks well, for coming on. I do two things. I, I said I do it all, and I do two things: ESPN and Omaha. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, I'm so glad to be here. The fried egg. I'm wearing a fried egg hat. If this is audio only, if your if your experience is audio only, hopefully maybe you can see some video here. Um, I'm a huge fried egg fan. Um, I'm a huge Joseph Lamania, Andy Johnson. Like, I, it, it's a thrill to be here. We're excited. I mean, we figured we'd use this opportunity with NFL, you know, NFL's moving golf coverage from from, uh, you know, moving up coverage times in Hawaii. We lose primetime golf because of the NFL and their fear of uh, of running up against it. But, you know, it's NFL season and uh, obviously it's the start of the golf season. So we figured we'd come uh, we'd have you come on and do some NFL PGA Tour player comps. Um First off, you know, I got to ask, do you think golf should be running away from the from the NFL? Do you think it's smart for yes. sports to run away from the NFL? Everything should run away from the NFL. And it's not just about the TV ratings and it's not even just about the attention economy and all this stuff. Like the NFL runs like America. And I don't think people really understand that. And like the story I've told this before, but 
during some of the scandals, remember like a decade ago when it looked like people were saying, what's the future of the NFL? Like the Ray Rice stuff and, and all that. And my editors of the journal were like, the Wall Street Journal were like, hey, can you do a story? What would happen if like the NFL stopped being the behemoth it was? And so I called around and people were just like, people in like corporate America were like, this is not possible. Like this is, this can't happen because if that happens, then the advertising industry collapses and then Bud Light collapses. And then like, you know, Ford collapses and GMC can't sell any trucks. And like, it would actually cause, it would be like the, the NFL collapse. The NFL is too big to fail. And so for me, like if you're, if you're going up against that, that's any sport. That's, we saw what happened on Christmas day with the NBA, like any sport or any entity that tries to go up and like the golden globes went against Sunday night football a couple of weeks ago. Like, why are you trying to do it? You have no idea. Like I, I have a friend, we kind of text about this all the time, but it's like these things, that will just come and go against the NFL and say, Ooh, a lot of buzz, you know, a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz for the world series. I don't even know the world series is happening anymore because it's going up against the NFL. And I would say even college football too, like bowl season runs up against it too much. And like, I would find a way to never compete. I think golf starts too early and I'm not, I'm not locked in on Hawaii at all because of it. I'd love to gamble on Hawaii and be locked in, but it's just not possible. You know, I, I, I would say that I somewhat agree, but the NFL expanding, you know, the way, what they're doing, it's you almost have to because it's now NFL's Monday, Thursday, uh, some Fridays now, <laughs> Saturday, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Yeah. Um. And th- with then they decide to go. They add a week, and now yeah. it runs against the PGA Tour's kickoff at Kapalua, right? Like all all these things, it makes it if you if you're afraid of something, they're just eventually going to come and take whatever's yours. Like I, I you know, soon we're gonna have football year round. You know, probably by the end of our lifetime. It's a spring. Golf is a spring and summer sport, and I think they can concentrate everything. On those couple months, and then do something else. Like I don't hate the fact that the DP World Tour has a couple of marquee events right around now, and you can watch Rory and and Tommy and, and stuff in, in the morning before football. I don't hate that. Maybe that's the identity they kind of carve out uh, in with golf in in January and early February. Maybe. What's your relationship with golf? Like, how big of a fan are you for people? You've been on the shotgun start. Yeah. You haven't been on on the Friday care. You just yeah, said you're a Friday fan, so you know you're. I, <laughs> You might be in the boat. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a golf fan. I just love. I'm just really enthusiastic <laughs> about Club TFE and the culture around it. I don't watch any golf, and I'll play golf now. Um, I came to golf vaguely late in life. I was about 30. It was when I went to the Ringer. Um, moved to LA. Could play it all the time. I actually tried. I actually fell in love with it when I was living in New York City, and that was just impossible. I went to Chelsea Piers a couple times. Paid 30 bucks for a bucket of balls. You don't really learn anything, and then and then you're you're done. So when I moved to LA, it was one of the things I wanted to do. And I immediately caught the bug um, and the bookshelf behind me. I went from like, not really. And I went to a couple of tournaments when I was a kid, the Disney tournament, <clears throat> the Tavistock cup in, uh, in Orlando. Do you know what that, you know tournament. What that is? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're like, ti- you'd see tiger there and you just watch him warm up. It's the only reason to go is to see tiger. Right. And so I went to that a couple of times when I was growing up in Orlando. Um, and then I got so into it, like this bookshelf behind me. I mean, like Pete Dye's memoir is there. Like I, I, I am just a full blown sicko. And I think part of it is that you have so much catching up to do when you come to it late in life, and you have so much improvement to do, and you're kind of bad. Um, and I, I've I spent my first five years being pretty 
wildly inconsistent in golf. That's that's everybody's wildly inconsistent, but like um, I'm a little bit better and 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 more consistent now. But like you're always competing against yourself, and I think that's that's the cool thing. Um, and and no two shots are alike, no two rounds are alike. I'm in an area with a bunch of awesome golf courses, and so I am as obsessed with golf as I've been with anything uh, in in my sporting life. If, if I can ask Kevin, like when you, let's say Friday of a Honda classic, like, are you clicking yeah. through shot tracker because you have a little action? Yeah. Are you, are you just hardcore into the majors and you're watching all four days nonstop? Like what, how do you consume professional golf? Re- real quick. It's the cognizant right now. So True. I just want to, I don't want to slipped up. It's not the Honda anymore. It's the cognizant. <laughs> It'll always be the Honda to me, but go ahead. Uh, it's a combination of both. Uh, it's the only sport I reliably bet on. Um, reason being, and I fight sports. I also bet on, but that's just more inconsistent. You maybe, maybe have three events a year where you bet on that. I do not bet on football. The line I've always said is that I know how upset I am when Xander Shoffley misses a putt or Scotty Sheffler doesn't get it together. I know how, like how just viscerally, visceral, viscerally angry I am at those folks. And the idea that like, like Levante David would be that guy. He like missed a tackle and it cost me money. And then like two days later, I have to go in the locker room and be like, hi, Levante, I'm going to do my job now. Like I'm just not mature enough for that. So I keep football away from the gambling part of it. Um, I love different combinations of bets. I love diving into the specifics of and figuring out what matters. Like I've always been obsessed going back to when I was at the WSJ with those stories where I kind of learned how to write. Like why do people win and lose? Like what's, what is it? Because it's some golf is such a cocktail of things where it's like, all right, well, obviously ball striking approach shots, most important thing filtered by that. But then it's not how much bad putting can you get away with? How bad can you be around the greens? But then there's the mental part of it. Um, what rudder are they in? Like, I love, I love different golf books, understanding just the mentality of these guys. And so to answer your question, like it's, I sit on ESPN plus and I watch as much as I can. I actually like the featured groups more than the big old broadcast reason being is like when I was watching um, last week at the century where it's like, I just want to understand what this course is and it's a beautiful course. And you see, and what I actually like is like seeing different shots uh, from if you, if you're on a whole, a whole feed, you know, whatever you would call it and seeing different, um, different guys take the same shot or you just see one group go through 18 holes. Like you understand it a lot more where it's so much so disconnected if you're just watching the network feed and you're saying, let's go to three, let's go to nine, let's go to 12. I want to understand why these guys are playing well. Um, and I also think like, I think there's probably, and you guys do such a great job at this. There's very rarely a sense of place in golf broadcasts. And what I mean by that is like, and and some of the graphics we've seen, and Andy, you've talked about this over the past couple of weeks. Some of the graphics we've seen have gotten a lot better at that. Like I think about something like F1, where they do such a good job at the beginning of the race being like, this is the track, the reason, and then they'll do a little highlights and they'll say, this corner here has had these five incidents and you need to know about these five incidents. And for me, I always think like, all right, if we're going to show uh, one at, 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 uh, at the century, um, just show me what that, what that looks like. What, what is that? Who, 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 what's the difference between somebody who won this event? Yeah. What's the difference between somebody who won that event, how they played that hole and somebody who, who literally shot an eight and removed themselves? Like, what is the difference? Show me with video, show me with that stuff. And so that's why I kind of like to do the a la carte thing when I'm watching golf is because I want to figure out what that looks like. 
It's a great point because I feel like one of the things that happens with golf is you watch the leaders. You're watching yes. the players that are playing abnormally better, like better than their mean, right? And they very rarely are getting in trouble. And one of the things that never happens is like you see the great shots from a hole, but you yeah. never see like what the defense of the hole is. You know, it's yeah. you know, it, it seems like it's kind of like especially with PGA Tour events and some of the courses, you know, frankly, like just don't have like the big features that could see it. But like seeing a front pin and somebody spinning off and rolling 40 feet back. It's like, this is, you know, this is what can happen here. They never lay out like the bad stuff. You only see the, Oh, this guy hit it to, to 15 feet. And I think that's obviously something that the tour kind of grapples with. I think it's something that you said that I found really interesting about how you cover football and, and like, you know, from the gambling thing, I think just in general, in media being a fan you lose your fandom a little bit when you're in media because mm. like you're covering it right like i couldn't imagine if i covered the nfl i can't maintain being a bears fan because it being a bears fan makes me irrational right like you know i wouldn't be able to cover well, i would say that's specific to being a bears fan if you were a fan <laughs> of another team i think maybe it would be easier for you but you're watching jordan love be the third consecutive star quarterback for the Packers in your lifetime. And you have to have some degree of cope. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, let's get into it since we, yeah. uh, we've got you here. It is Monday. You got games coming up. I mean, this is you're you're battling through the NFL, uh, the uh, super wild card weekend here. Super um, wild card Monday. Yeah. We, there's a game in a couple hours. I know two games on on MLK Day. It's pretty. It's, it's, well, that's and then and I, like again, how do you bet I'm, a weather game like that, by the way? Like yeah. one of the things I like about golf is that the betting is the the betting is the sport. Are they making the cut or are they not making the cut? Are they are they gonna top ten or are they not gonna be top ten? Like that that to me is is one is a one to one translation. Football, it's all overs and like point spreads and like you can win without winning. So that's that's all when I look at games like that, I'm just like, how how do you gamble on on football? That's impossible. All right. So the premise of this exercise that we've we've created for you, we asked you to do homework. Unlike some of our other guests, you obliged. You're happy to do the homework. Um, the the premise is a PGA Tour player pro golf. to and let's what pro any golf. any golf. golf. golfer. I have I have a uh, one one live guy, I think, right. on the list. So pro golf, it's you know weird having to say that pro golf to NFL franchise. I'm not gonna lie, I cheated. I've got some some non some non NFL franchises. I've got some quarter. <laughs> I've got. I went down the quarterback r- route because I you know I don't know. I was having trouble like separating the the full history of a franchise with the with the with the player that might only have been on tour for three years. So. I cheated, but I think it'll add some diversity in our picks and everything. So, so anyways, uh, let's go, let's just go one by one. We'll go down around the horn, just similar to your, the TV show that you contribute on Kevin. Who's your first, (laughs) who's your first pick? All right. So for the NFL, this, this era just ended, but it is still, it has not been replaced by a new era. So it is still ongoing in my book. Seahawks established. Well, I've got both those teams on my list, but I'm going to start here. Established a baseline of dominance over a decade ago. Um, Maybe underachieved relative to the talent that was suggested around then. Complete chaos from one event to the next. One one play to the next, one shot to the the next. The Pete Carroll era Seahawks are Mr. Jordan Spieth. Yep. And I just don't think, and I think that I mean, if you were, I, I, here's the way I look at it. 
how many Jordan situations that Jordan Spieth is in, if you took away the name and you said, this is what's happening to a golfer, you'd say, oh yeah, no, 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 this is Jordan Spieth. We're talking about Jordan Spieth here. The mystery golfer is Jordan Spieth. I feel like the Seahawks, when you have these games and you say, um, who played that onside kick game against the Packers? Um, who played that 6-6 game um, where everybody kept missing kicks, but it was great defense against the Cardinals? If you just took the name away, you go, that's a Seahawks game. And I think it's one-to-one. Um, no one has embraced and thrived in chaos more. I think that's the most important thing. Is that the Seahawks thrive in chaos, and they like it, and they understand that uh, they understand clutch is a real thing. And that you can win, like you saw the video with Pete Carroll, where he's like, you can only win the game in the fourth quarter. Um, can't win it in the first, can't win, which is not even true. Like Andy <laughs> Reid is obsessed with winning the game at halftime because statistically then you win the game overall. But but Pete Carroll wants to win it in the fourth quarter. And I just see a one-to-one comparison between those two things. It's like your tweet that there's never been a normal yes. Seahawks game. There's never really yes. been a normal Jordan Spieth round. So I like that take no. a lot. I, that, that's never. not on my list, but that, that's Also, you can't... You cannot, no matter what Jordan Spieth does off the tee, there, you cannot say, well, this, you know, write this hole off. Same Anything thing with the Seahawks. That's, Same thing with the Seahawks. That's uh, somebody, I, I forget who tweeted this. Somebody, it might have been Claire Rogers. Um, I'm not sure. I apologize to whoever it was. I apologize to Claire Rogers if she didn't tweet this, but somebody tweeted like uh, just an unnamed screenshot of 284 yards to unknown. Who is this player? <laughs> and everybody was like Jordan Spieth. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, the Seahawks, anything could happen. And it's like, let me tell you, if you said something really crazy happened in the NFL, do you, can you guess yeah. what team it was? It'd probably be the Seahawks. Yeah. And I think part of it is is the game Spieth wants to play the talent that he has relative to the rest of the field, all that stuff. And just again, the fact that I think when we're looking back on it, we're saying he probably should have won a little bit more. Fair enough. All right, I'll go with my number one. I think this is my favorite one. Team that physically imposing, has all the traits. You know they can win, but the wounds always feel self-inflicted. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills are Rory McIlroy. Oh, wow. I think the there's the arm talent. There's the physicality. Yeah. There's the speed with Josh Allen. We know he can make all the throws. But I feel like if Rory just knew when to check it down and when to slide in week five instead of go flying through the air, we'd have a little more confidence in him to win a major championship. So I think the Rory-Josh Allen comparison is strong. Andy, Kevin, how do we feel about that? Rory, noted Bills fan also. Yeah. One of the more, most famous Bills fans in existence. I think you throw that in too. There's no doubt he can win, right? We know yeah. that obviously but do we actually if you felt confident about the limiting the self-inflicted wounds then i think you'd pick him more often kevin wow okay couple things number one i actually have made this comparison before this is just on uh, between the lines i have made a comparison between mickelson and josh allen reason being is that mickelson has said many times that the object of golf is to do cool things and that if you can do this wild shot and if you have the opportunity to do it you're just going to do it right and it gets him in trouble and with josh allen it's something i've talked with josh allen about before where i'll be like all right you know the team wants you to change your style of play be a little more conservative but he's like well okay but like i'm not gonna change who i am like i i he basically he has the opportunity with his arm talent that you just referenced to do the coolest stuff in the world you try being boring with that right same thing with phil i think rory is an excellent comp my rory comp i'm sorry to say 
is the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, wow. (laughs) Consistently good. Consistently good. The headline in whatever big event he is, everybody's watching Rory on day one of the majors. Every single person is watching Rory on day one of the majors. Um, Better than he gets. I'd say, listen, by the way, the Cowboys won 12 straight 12 games for three straight years. Like we cannot just because God. they can't. <laughs> this is I have a different Cowboys one. This is disrespectful. What the Rory. hell? They, they they make the playoffs every single year. <laughs> I mean, so, I, come I, on. Andy has an, I want I want Andy to get to some of his. I have the Cowboys in here. I have the Cowboys as Xander Shoffley, and I I think it's on paper. Get it? Really good regular season team. Bunch of T eights. Bunch of consistency. But you never really believe that he's on the short list to get it done in the same way. I don't really trust Dak in a big playoff game. Like Xander's been relevant a couple times. He's had a chance to win, but I don't fully believe it. Really good on paper, well built, well rounded. I, I think it maybe comparing to Rory is a little disrespectful to Rory, but I'm not that far apart from you. I, I had, think it depends, I had the it depends how long you go. Pantling. It depends how long you go back. Okay, that's interesting. Go that's ahead. Sa- basically, yeah. the same, same similar energy, uh, same, same energy. Like they're gonna lure you in with a few wins. Like Cantlay will make a run in the FedEx Cup playoffs, and you're like, oh, this is the year. Like, look, they're a great fit. For, he's a great fit. There's no reason why Patrick Cantlay isn't gonna win the Masters or the Open Championship or the U.S. Open. Look, he's good at everything. Look at the Cowboys. Remember at the beginning of the year, the Cowboys. They're like, this is the greatest defense ever and then they got absolutely torched by the packers like completely I, torched by I the picked packers. them to make the super bowl yes at the beginning of the season well this is this is how you can talk yourself into patrick you always can talk yourself into patrick cantlay in a major and then it's like oh patrick cantlay's uh 15 shots back on uh on on saturday afternoon and, is any team uh, is any team more of a t12 at a major than the cowboys no, no, they're like T six. They're better than they're better than we give them credit for. T twelve, right? Good. That's the, that's the thing. Maybe it's, this it's, is okay. recency bias, but I can't get to T six after yesterday. I, I they, they they so the reason you get you make the playoffs every year and don't go farther is because and this is a football only take. It's not a Rory take. You either have talent and no coaching or coaching and no talent. Like that's the only explanation for getting that far and never progressing beyond it. Having said that, their roster talent is such that they are T6 every single year. T6. No 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 higher, no lower. That's the Cowboys thing. Okay. I think you guys are being disrespectful to the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> That's my take. You guys thought I was being disrespectful to Rory. Can't, can't I didn't. Like, I, didn't comp- I didn't compare him to like the the Cardinals. We you d- we just listed the two two active the players the two most uh top ten t- most weeks of the top ten yes. in the OWGR without, without a, major, a major active players. But- it depends on how far you go back. The Cowboys sure. had some of the yeah. biggest success on the planet See, in our is, lifetimes, Andy. This is why I struggled with the franchise, the strict franchise. But you want you ready for my first one here? Go. Yes. We've got, all right. Both of these longevity, longevity relevance at the at the top of the game in, in my lifetime. Just like lots of highs, very few lows. But you know, at the end of the day, you look at it and you're like, God, how did they only win one? One major, one NFL mm. championship. You know, despite all of this greatness, you know, franchise quarterbacks, Adam Scott is the Green Bay oh. Packers. Wow. You know, wow. the refs, the refs helped the Packers out. The long putter helped Adam Scott out. Oh, Jesus. 
I will say, I like it. It, it listen, rich 20 years for a from... Bears fan, it is rich for a Bears fan to talk to, to just reduce the Packers to only having won one Super Bowl, despite the fact they're consistently well, the best team of the division. They're working on their third, they're currently in the playoffs. They're working on their third straight elite quarterback. And in our lifetime, I've never seen, I was not watching football when they had the magic man before Brett Favre. So in my lifetime, I've only seen good Packers football. I think, I think you're being a little disrespectful to the Green Bay Packers. I, here. I think Adam Scott from <laughs> effectively like 2004 till now, like in golf terms has been like a first 20 names at a major player and 20 is like the low end. Right. And this is like kind of more recent than, than, but like he was a first page favorite at major championships for a good 15 years. Like, no, like the, he, the guy has like ultimate floor. It, we haven't even gotten into like the, you know, Adam Scott's like the, the darling of, of, of golf because of his looks and his grandia. I'm not going to go there. I don't like the Packers. I'm not going to use that at all, but the Packers have always been the eye of America, of, of American football. Like, Oh, look at the Packers, the small market team that is, you know, everybody loves the Packers except for bears fans in general, you know, anyways, Adam Scott is the Packers. I don't think I am. I think this is probably the nicest. I could have gone Sergio Garcia. Oh, it, it could have just put him in there instead of the Packers. Only one title, despite all this talent. Okay. I gave him Adam Scott. Are the Bears that was really do have, nice? Do you, do, I don't need you to spoil it yet. Is there a Bears comp on yeah, your list? I got okay. One. I don't. I, I'm looking forward to it. I just. I just didn't want you to get away from this without having a Bears comp on here. Yeah, um, Kevin, you want to hit number three? Yeah. Um. I'm trying to figure out where to go on this. I'm. I'm going to go with the. Uh, with the easy one. A guy whom records do not seem to count for. Um, like it just seems like he exists in a different, completely different plane. He serves as a baseline to show you how mediocre you are. There are a million, literally probably a couple thousand tiny edges that require you to win football games. Um, and he has all of those in golf. And this franchise had them for a period of 25 years. Tiger Woods is New England Patriots. And it just, it's, it is, um, it was obviously significantly more uh, – th- those two were significantly more in tune maybe five, six years ago. Um, but I think that when you look at just the floor, the floor of the Patriots for two decades was the AFC championship game. They made the playoffs. They won double-digit games every single year Bill Belichick was there um, and with Tom Brady on the roster. And even when they had Matt Castle, they were still able to figure it out. The things that the Patriots were able to do, very similar to Tiger Woods, where they would change with every innovation in the sport and also at the same time innovate the sport in different ways. Um, If the Patriots had to change their style because the game was going in some way, they would do that. And then once that style became too popular, they would swerve and create a new style. Um, They... The game is in their image. And so I think Patriots, Tiger Woods, uh, same same entity. Some controversies too. Deflate gate. I've I've noticed, yes. <laughs> Married supermodels. Yeah, they, 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 yep. Had a lot of lot of headlines, lot of um a lot of people a lot of arguments about about uh where their greatness comes from. They I are like the standard smart, of excellence. Just, I like it. Well, and I also say that one of the things, and I've said this before, but like you get three beers in anybody in New England and they'll take credit for, 
for the Patriot way, you know, the last 25 years. And, and people you've never even heard of, right, will be like, well, you know, I was really the one who said we should bring in Wes Welker. Um, and I think with Tiger, it's like it's not the same because it's one person, but it's like there are a million things ways you could say this is why tiger's good this is why tiger's good and we hear you know you've, you've read it in every book or whatever but like if you were to sum up why tiger woods is good in one sentence you couldn't do it like it i didn't have a tiger woods comparison so there's not a ton of overlap i'm, I'm liking the variety here i will say of the franchises i kind of focused on like right now versus the history a little more i think kevin you and andy went a little more for history here so with my next one this is pretty focused on this year but it, it sure. works for the past few years too I think the San Francisco 49ers are John Rom, where mm. it's consistent power, well-rounded. It's down your throat. It's a long drive after a long drive down the middle. And no matter what major championship, you can always kind of pick John Rom, and there's not a whole lot to nitpick there. If you think the 49ers are going to win this year, who's going to disagree with you? Even when they're forgotten a little bit or when they show maybe a little bit of weakness, if they're healthy... That's a great pick. I think the same is true of John Rahm. He was the third favorite going into the Masters last year behind Scheffler and Rory, but a lot of smart people were still picking John Rahm, knowing he's that championship caliber golfer. So in my opinion, the power, the consistency, 49ers are John Rahm. So let me get this straight. So you went with the, the recency. You, all you wanted to do was now, but there's no reference. Like the Niners didn't go and join the UFL. Yeah. Just in case, just in case you didn't know, they did have not joined the the ex, the merged XFL USFL yet. Fair yet, enough. Yeah, like it's not perfect. The yeah. uh, the thing too, I think like uh, living out here, the fans, you know, Rom yeah. fans are, you know, that Forty ers are 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 kind of di- they're a weird fan base. I gotta say, I think it's got to be something to do with like lifestyle out here, outdoors. Yeah, you know. Like they care if it seems like they care if their team's really good. Everybody's a Niners fan. If their yeah. team's not good, then nobody is. I feel like with Rom, he's consistently in it. But like you only hear from Rom fans when they win. Like you don't hear from Rom fans when he's, you know, T21. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good thought. Um, I like that, Andy. You're helping like, me out. I, I wasn't even going there yeah, with exactly. the comparison. You're just exactly. building I was trying on to, it. So I was trying well, to that's it. local knowledge. That's True. called local knowledge. I mean, I, I walk I walk around and there's 49er flags everywhere. It's like, what? There's but not Asian 13 you know, fans Last year, everywhere? you know what? Last year, there weren't a lot of 49er flags. They all came down quick. They got pretty fever. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to now dive into my uh, my players here. This is your your favorite stats boy's favorite player. You talk to one person, they say, oh, this guy is so overrated. You talk to, you know, another guy, they're going to say, that's that's the best player in the, on the PGA Tour that nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert is Cameron Young. You know, they're wow. just eye-popping talent. Drool, like, you look at the, stati- the advanced statistics, it's like, oh, my God, this guy, this guy's the future number one. This guy is the future best quarterback in the NFL. People can get irrational about it. It makes some people angry. It makes some people, you know, happy. The, this is these are two polarizing people because of the embrace of the stats community. And what I love about wow. it, and curious for your opinion, Kevin, I think the same type of person that tends to think Justin Herbert is good also thinks Cam Young is good. Like, hey, it's not always just about winning. They're showing the traits. Like, I think Justin Herbert is excellent, and the, the type of person that says, "Well, but he hasn't done it yet." is the same kind of person that tends to discredit what Cam Young has done so far. So I love the comparison. Who is Justin Herbert's, uh, excuse me, Cam Young's Tua? 
in this? Like, who's the other guy where it's like the non-stats guys? You're like, no, this guy's the same age as him, and he's going to be better. He's the future number one. Mm. Uh, I kind of have one of those later. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. It could be. I don't don't want. I'm so excited about your guys' list. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I can't. I can't wait for anything. We'll save it. We'll save it. I mean, like, yeah. 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 All right. We'll save it. All right. Um, so can I, speaking of Tua, can I give my Miami yeah. Dolphins comp? Let's go. All right. Um, different vibes than anybody else. Mike McDaniel is just a different dude. Uh, unbelievable, as you said, offensive metrics wow. with one flaw that is, we're all waiting around. It's gotten better, but we're all waiting around for it to implode. Miami Dolphins are Victor Hoffman. Oh. Um, oh, you went a little different direction. I thought you were about to go. What'd you, what'd you think I was going to go with? I thought you were going to say a lot of speed. I thought you were going Bryson. And I have that in my oh. notables, a, a Dolphins Bryson comp, but I like this. Flush no, it out. No, I don't. I, I the, the Bryson thing, I, I don't. Bryson is one of one. And I don't think Bryson's is, a, the Dolphins are not as obnoxious it's as Bryson. Bryson, Brandon they're, Staley. They're also not. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's well, a good like, one. Good Brandon Staley. If Brandon good. Staley, like defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. <laughs> but also the other thing about, about that is that um, Brandon Staley, the things he was talking about, he was basically saying he was starting a revolution with the most obvious crap in the world. <laughs> and and so, like, like Brandon Staley was like, oh, I stopped the run without committing people to stop the run. Well, you also had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, right? So, like, what exactly were you doing? And the thing I always think about a lot is I wrote this piece about Bryson a couple of years ago, and I was talking about how he was going to change golf or whatever, and... Uh, and and Mark Titus replied to the tweet. He's like a good buddy. We've golfed before. He's really he's a, he's really long off the tee, by the way. But um, but but Titus replied and just said, "Wow, I never thought to hit hit the piss out of the golf ball until Bryson started doing it." And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So that's Brandon Staley for you. Um, anyway, um, no, I just think with McDaniel, first of all, like different. Like we all remember the uh, what was the Hoplon say? He just drives across the country listening to Joe Rogan and drinking Monster Energy again. Heavy metal take music. the name off that heavy metal music. Yes, exactly. That's Mike McDaniel vibes. Um, there's a sort of underlying sarcasm in all of it. Um, different personality from those guys. And then again, everything else seems perfect. Yeah. And you know, I look at I look every week. I look at the. Um, the the strokes gained stuff and you look at ball striking, you look at all the things you like, and then you see the little red by around the greens and you say, what can he get away with? And again, that's gotten better. Um, but again, same thing with the Dolphins. They keep getting better and we keep wondering what the holes in his game uh, will reveal themselves to be. And so I think it's, I, I frankly, I think, Although, also, by the way, Mike McDaniel's fashion choices very similar to Victor Hovland, where we don't really know where he's going from one week to the, the next. He's the other wearing thing capri, is, capri pants. He's, he's, yeah. The other thing is that you watch him at a press conference, right? And you're like, is yes. that guy stoned? Is he, has he been smoking <laughs> weed? Like, you know, like both of them have that energy. I was leaving that one unsaid. I was letting the, I was letting the, the listener kind of connect the dots on that one. I like this. So I have a Victor Hovland one as well. And we went a little different directions only because as i said i'm kind of focusing on the current state of the franchise and i think victor hovland's short game improvements have like they're legitimate to where he is tier one contender i have victor hovland as the baltimore ravens and Mm. some of my rationale is very analytically driven uh smart approach to the sport the ravens have always been a smart front office have always been forward thinking on those kind of things in the same way that victor hovland is and I think with Lamar, some of the issues 
and Kevin, you can speak to this better than I can, but maybe some of the pocket presence a couple years ago weren't as sure if he could win. And now, now, like they are one of the favorites, them and the 49ers, same way that I think Victor Hovland coming into 2024, first ballot, top couple names you can pick him to win. So for me, Victor Hovland's the Baltimore Ravens. Not that dissimilar, though, Kevin, from your logic on comparing him to the Dolphins. Yeah, again, like and similar between the Ravens and Hovland, we're projecting out because there's no proof of concept on the absolute biggest stage. Right. We're projecting out. And we're all in our head, we're going, oh, is this going to be another Tennessee 2019 again? Like there's a lack of uh, full trust that you can give them, which I think is true of the Dolphins. Again, like yeah. I think part of it for me, and I think the difference in, in my thing against your thing is like, I think the Dolphins gains were like really impressive and legitimate, but then like the best thing in the world for like bears fans. And he's got this in his, in his head and like jets fans are all clowning on the Dolphins. Cause he lost a playoff game. And it's like, well, you guys aren't even in the playoffs. So like I am maybe thinking that the Cowboys and the Dolphins, uh, accomplishments this year were more impressive than maybe the casual NFL fan. But the, what what McDaniel has done with Tua has been borderline miraculous. Fair enough. We're we're on the same page. I think we what we definitely agree on is the only thing left is to prove you can do it. Like Victor Havan needs to win the Super Bowl yes, or 100%. needs to win a major and the Ravens need to win the Super Bowl. Like that's the way I and was the thinking. And the Dolphins about it. need to win in cold weather somehow for some reason. Havan can't do it. Havan can't go play in the uh yeah, resort. In, what's boy. the coldest? What's the coldest golf tournament? I mean, he might be good because of the Norway. Boss, yeah, you know, well, he hasn't uh, done it. Do it. I had to be a Stugatz. Do it. Do it. Do it. Win the National Open of Norway. I feel like the Ryder Cup's usually the coldest. Yeah. Like you get it you, that late September somewhere northern in the U.S. It's uh, um. All right, I'll move on here. I'll, I'll go with uh, go with mine. It's another player comp, but these are <laughs> long careers. Long careers. Oh yeah. One one includes a really big contract. The other one includes really big endorsement dollars. Both of them, you know, one has major, you know, questions. Prime time. Can they win in prime time? Can they win on Monday night football? You know, this, these are mired their year. <laughs> you know, statistically, things look really good. Um, anyway, the other player, can he win a major? You know, is, is he got too much hype for what he is? Ricky Fowler is Kirk Cousins. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Wow. Okay. What is Ricky Fowler like let me, that let me, moment? I, I, I want to flesh this out. I want to flesh this out a little bit. Because one of the underlying things that defines the Kirk Cousin era is that coaches love him. Coaches are all like, I Play, wish I had Kirk Cousin. Players yes, that's, love. That's, everybody yes, that's loves what Ricky That's Fowler. what I'm saying. Is Ricky the guy where like everybody who plays with him is just like, holy crap. Look at this guy go. Everybody loves Ricky. Yeah. Everyone loves Ricky, yes. right? And it's like you could talk yourself into Ricky, but at the end of the day, you know, he's he's probably never going to win a major. He had like, you know, moments where like even this year with Kirk Cousins, you're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, in the beginning of the year, you're like, this guy's playing at a different level than he's ever played before. But mm-hmm. it, it all, you know, obviously th- this year it came down because of the injury, but it always comes crashing down. Personality-wise, so in the wonderful Omaha Productions documentary uh, quarterback, there's a part there where <laughs> Cousins has like his little room, and the the car, uh, the contractor put it on himself to install without asking anybody install a 
shelf for his Lombardi, which has obviously not come yet. And it's like a weird sort of aspirational thing. If there was a golfer who had a empty trophy case in his house <laughs> that he shows off waiting for a major, is it Ricky Fowler? So it's like mm. you come in to Jupiter and you say and you go, oh, yeah, this is this is my nice living room, whatever. And then here's my major trophy case. It's empty. Like, I is that Ricky or is that somebody else? I could see Jason Day. I guess he has a major, <laughs> but like that could yeah, be I like mean, Jason Day vibes, right? I'm just scrolling through here. I I can't think of anybody else. Like I could see Westy. Phil having like that and having spots for like 12 of them and only, yeah. you know, <laughs> only having six in there. Like that's like stuff that Phil might do. Do like, we have do we have a, a current Phil comp for player or just for NFL franchise? I, I anything. Like I just feel like it's taken so I mean there's a player out there Honestly, who, Aaron Rodgers replaced is not him on a McAfee. Crazy. I was going to say he replaced him on McAfee the other day. Aaron Rodgers is not a crazy comparison. <laughs> not a crazy comparison. I at think all. I mean that's that's the one. I mean it, it's yep. it's it has to be Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, yes. Espe- I don't I don't think there's anybody Especially if Aaron Rodgers next year has like a triumphant return and he's like the MVP of the league and it's like that would be Aaron Rodgers Kiowa, right? Where he yes. comes back like out of nowhere, it's like everybody's counting me out, and I'm back, right? Wow. Um. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. All right. So, did we each have one left? Uh, I do. I got one. Let it rip, Kevin. All right. Winning is a skill. They know how to do it consistently. They had the fundamentals of the game down, and when things and the reason I think you win major championships is that you know, sort of mentality wise, we we're talking about earlier how to win when everybody's playing their best. To me, that's the Philadelphia Eagles. To me, that's Brooks Koepka. Ooh. Um, I just feel like the Eagles know their identity. And even if you think they don't, they do. It's always strong along the lines. And like, it's funny because like, I think Brooks is like the closest you can get to a sports alpha. Right. And, and I think a lot of times I, I was in a, um, I was doing it after they won the Super Bowl. I was doing a story with the Eagles and I was talking to one of their guys and I was like, you know, you guys went front of fourth down and you got all these guys on one year contracts and you the way you drafted and all this stuff. And the guy was like, Would you shut up? The reason we won the Super Bowl is because we were strong on the offensive and defensive lines. Everything else was a bonus. And I kind of think with Brooks Kepka, like we know why he wins. And I think we have all sorts of different theories about uh the way he plays and the way he wants to manage his career and injuries and all this stuff. But when he is when he needs to play as best, he does. And I think that that's, that's, the, that's the Philly experience. That's the Bruce Koepka experience. Notwithstanding, I know Joseph wants to do with the, uh, the current Eagles. The Eagles are about to get their ass kicked tonight uh, or next week. We'll figure it out. This episode might go up after they won by 20 points. But like at some point, um, they're, they're going to get their ass kicked this January. So let's put literal recency bias aside. It's, the, it's a very similar franchise. Um, I guess on that. So Brooks Kepka, if you think about his majors wins to regular season wins, like he's got an all-time ratio there. Didn't hasn't won a lot of the yep. smaller tournaments. In your mind, is is the correct comparison there? The Eagles, because I like the comp. Or like I was just thinking the Eli Manning Giants. Like, yeah. Um, what's the right What's the right NFL possible. franchise that is really outkicked on just winning Super Bowls versus regular season success? So I understand that, but they've won. I mean, they, you know, you're going back a little bit. On, on the Giants. The current Giants are are not if the current Giants were a player, right. they would be on the they would not be on the they would not have the tour card. They would not currently mention. have their tour card. They would not they would be an, a bunch of Monday qualifiers. Um and so I think 
like they win playoff games. Did you see the stat the other day? Like Nick Foles has more playoff wins than Romo and Dak combined. Like they 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 win playoff games. Um, and to me, like the Super Bowl, it's so hard because I was going through the Super Bowl winners, and it's like I don't think anybody is Mahomes. I don't. I don't think anybody's the Chiefs. I think it's there's an impossible standard in golf. I think maybe 20 years ago you could make the Tiger Cup, but then the Tiger is the Patriots, right? And so it's really hard for me. Like, Andy, we did this a couple years ago over text being like, who's the Jimmy Walker of quarterbacks? And I don't think the answer is maybe Nick Foles. I don't know. But like Super Bowls to majors are not, cannot be one-to-one because there's four majors per year in one Super Bowl. And in football, the same teams win the Super Bowl over and over and over again. So for me, you have to use playoff wins and that kind of success as a proxy. And that is a team that makes Super Bowls. They won one with with Nick Foles. That win uh, that gets to NFC title games, divisional round of playoffs. Consistent success uh, when you need to have consistent success. I like it. Um, all right, I'll bring it home with my last one. Little, this is not a crowd pleaser. This is looking for enemies in two different directions here. So, oh, beautiful. This is our social clip. Turn, turn the TikTok camera on. Yeah. I'm going in this. I yeah, I'm going a team that is easy to cheer for, legitimately solid. If anyone calls them a fraud, they're wrong. They're legitimately good. Don't believe they're going to win the Super Bowl. Don't believe they're going to win a major. I was a little wrong about this team too. I thought they're going to be pretty a little bit more average this year. That legitimately good, not a fraud, but don't really believe they're going to get it done at the highest level. I have the Detroit Lions are Tom Kim. And <laughs> I I had some ideas about Tom Kim. I almost put something similar together for Tom. Very Kim. good. Has shown I had flashes. Jared Goff and Tom Kim. Can win can win the Wyndham Championship despite making a big number on the opening nine. If you wanted Augusta, I'd be very surprised. Lack some of the power. The Lions don't have much of a secondary. I'm happy for yeah. them. I, I respect yeah. both of what they bring to the table, but that is my comparison. And poor Tom Kim fair, Kevin? What is there a He's 66? Like is there, is there, yeah, I was gonna 21. say, is there is there 21. a season ticket holder who's been watching Tom Kim for 66 years, like the guy last night? Just like a, a diehard. The, the, the Kim heads have been waiting for years for this just emotional release of a Kim win. It doesn't. It doesn't work I love, from a history no, perspective. No, I love that. No, no, I, I, I completely see where you're coming from. I just think the the funny thing is for now is like the lions are seen as like this avatar of like finally we're we're getting rewarded with something, and then you hit us with Tom Kim. That's what I love. That's what I love about what's going on here. It's because we're all coming at it from three different perspectives. Andy's not even playing the, the team game. He's just throwing out quarterbacks. <laughs> well. You know, I, I I guess I just say, uh, you know, I've just thrown out quarterbacks. I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw you another quarterback. And I, my last one is all bear centric. Okay. I, I had just, I had trouble with the bears because it was hard. Yeah, yeah. It was actually hard to, to think about some, some, uh, a golfer that is so dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. I mean, so dis- you, you talk about dysfunction as an organization, right? Yeah. You talk about an organization that in a year, had like the defensive coordinator just leave from you know rumors were like the and FBI then no one, raided, raided no one figured out what happened no but no one has a clue no one has a clue the defensive coordinator leaves the running back coach gets dismissed because of an hr yeah. hr problem like you know like how serious yeah. that probably has to be for a guy to be fired i mid-season. like where this is going oh god <laughs> i have no idea where this is headed so, i think i know but so then you have, then they bring them back, right? They've had, they've had one winning, one 
triumph that they're still dining off of in the in the in the whole like the city, the bear, the city of Chicago still talks about the 85 bears. Yes. That happened before I was born. I turned 38 this year. That is still like one of the hallmark moments of the city when most people that live in the city don't even weren't even born for it. But anyways, there's this this ineptitude. I think just in general, mm-hmm. the Bears are the PGA Tour. Yeah, <laughs> complete with the HR violation. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what golfer you were going to compare them to. There's no golfer that you can even like get to the again, laundry like, list. The the things over the course have failed to adopt uh, adopt any modern football yeah. principles. Have a coach that's trotting out like they had this great success as a defense when they had uh, Vic Fangio, like a new yeah. age NFL defense. And then a couple of years later, they go back to the cover two. It's like they're trotting out this antiquated system. And they keep their coach. Nobody else in in the right mind, after all the things that happened this year, would keep their head coach with the greatest crop of uh, head coaching candidates. Have you ever had to apologize for being a Bears fan, Andy? I'd say the one thing that's very similar in that regard, obviously, it's a great comp. The one thing that's very similar is I've heard people say, like, you should never be allowed to say, because everybody says it. Kevin Warren is now saying it. Ted Phillips said it before that. The McCaskies have said it. We want to play Chicago Bears football. You should not. Everything you've done, don't do it anymore. Don't do anything that you used to do going forward. That's my advice to you guys on both on both ends of that comp. There, it's just let's just start anew. I, you know, the good thing the Bears have a guy working eighteen-hour days, like Kevin Warren. <laughs> you know, that's all I can say. My other. My other Bears comp is uh, is Justin Fields is Cam Davis, you know, mm. really flashy, eye popping, eye popping physical traits, you know, hits it long. The irons when they're cooking, like everything when it's going right, it looks great. But then there's just these performances where you're like flummoxed, where you're like, wait a second, what's going on? Maybe it's just he hasn't been put in the right situation. Maybe it's the coaching around him. Maybe somebody just hasn't gotten everything out of Cam Davis that he needs to. Maybe, you know, the Justin Fields. But anyways, it's always going to leave you wanting more. Similar. I had noted Cam Davis, Anthony Richardson. Just very physically imposing, projectable. But Anthony Richardson doesn't have any of the hiccups that that Cam Davis might have. So I think your comparison might be better. No, the Cam Davis one is, is good because also, like, there's this element of the Justin Fields thing is unique because there's a bunch of excuses that have built up around him, even though every a bunch of young quarterbacks seem to be having tons of success without the things that are the Bears fans say are prerequisite to having success. Um, so it's a little it's a, it's it, again, it's hard. That part is hard to come to a golfer. But I think I completely agree. Like the flashiness, the fact that he should every time he swings the club. It, it couldn't look like the best thing you've ever seen. And I think that's that's the point of fields is like anytime he takes a snap, you're, you might see something you've never seen in a football field. By the way, that goes in any direction. I mean, think about he makes you always see the same plays on, on the tweets that are like, you can't trade. You can't get rid of this guy built yeah. around him. Like, it's yeah. always the play where he like shrugs off two defensive linemen and makes a throw. And they never show like him just holding on to the ball. And getting hit right. like and just hold it's like a clean pocket he's got plenty of time and then he gets popped and it's like and then you see the the view from behind him and it's like three wide open receivers right can i can i make a uh 
a, a wild kind of broad comp between football players and young golfers because Obviously. I've always thought that so you've heard this criticism of young golfers they've come up in the trackman era they're not used to real misses there's no artistry in it because they the the, the, the drivers are so forgiving and all that stuff I feel like the quarterbacks you mentioned Justin Fields holding on to the ball too long every young quarterback hangs on to the ball for so long now because they came up in a game in which you do not get punished for that. Because it used to be, if you came up and you held onto the ball too long and you were 1993, in high school ball, you would be murdered. You would be on crutches for your entire career because some five-star you know, from, from South Florida would, would play you in the state championship game and he'd rip your head off. College the same way, pro the same way. So these guys were just getting the ball out of their hands over and over and over again. Now with these rules... You can come up and you have the spread. You, you just, you know, you can just hold the ball, run around a little bit. These quarterbacks are coming in now, whether that's Justin Fields, Drake May is another one who holds on the ball forever. Caleb, Caleb. Williams holds the ball for Caleb, but it's a, a little bit different. But like these guys are comfortable just being like, yeah, I'll figure that out. I'm going to figure that out and just, you know, just stand back here for six seconds because they're not used to getting the crap knocked out of them. So it's a very similar thing where I think, to quote Michael Irvin, we're losing recipes a little bit. Um, because I think that there's, it's just a different game for the young guys as compared to the two guys who are maybe 38 years old. Simulator yeah. golfer, simulator quarterbacks, track man, exactly track right. man, golfer. track man era of quarterbacks. Ah, this perfect take to end it with Kevin. Thank you so much, uh, for coming on. Everybody should be listening to your show, especially now it's the PGA, it's the, uh, God, the PGA tour playoffs, the, the NFL playoffs, what the is NFL wrong playoffs. With <laughs> It's just that the Hawaii swing feels like the playoffs that you just you get confused a little bit. Well, I mean, honestly, it feels bigger than the FedEx Cup playoffs. Absolutely. So does anything. <laughs> so does club championship down the road. <laughs> so so for the fried egg events. Yeah. Are we doing am I coming to one this year? Yeah, we got a bunch in in your neck of the woods. I'm so coming. You pick, I'm coming. pick out the ones you want to come to. There's like three in New York. So you got to St. George, right? St. George. I'll come to yeah. that one. You could take the you could take the ferry over to Port Jefferson. You're in Brooklyn. You actually don't need. I'm it. not in Brooklyn anymore. Oh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in Westchester. Take the ferry. Take the ferry. That's how right. I got there. It was We're great. going. Yeah. I, I miss Rolling Green. August. It'll be right in training camp season. Yeah, I probably miss it then. But yeah. you know, I'll come to another one. I love. All right. All right. Uh, you have anything else to plug? This is football. This is football no. podcast. Uh, this is football in Omaha. Uh, you know, we're fine around the horn, bunch of ESPN stuff. Um, I, I believe Joe Buck's coming on tomorrow and Kyle Long are coming on tomorrow. Um, both, I believe, noted golf sickos. We had a Peyton Manning episode last week. We did not get to talk about golf. He's a golf sicko. So um, check it out. We're just we're just doing a parade of golf sickos around here. Yeah. Josh Allen's I, a golf I, sicko. I, Josh Allen's a golf sicko. I um, He played Cyprus with uh, Jim Nance. And he told me that I said, have you read the match? And he said, Mr. Nance gave me the book to to read up on before I played Cyprus with him. And so there you go. And then uh, he said that Jim Nance at Cyprus just had he said it was amazing, Josh Allen, because it was like um, every hole Nance had had like the whole history ready to rock. And he liked that quite a bit. I bet Nance would be an excellent host. You know, I don't know him, but he just seems like he would be a great host. He plays golf with all those guys. He told me that Justin Herbert came in like a really crappy car with a bunch of his buddies and he realized he was just just a regular dude. I don't know if they played Cypress or Pebble with Justin, but he plays all those guys. That's, that's how somebody might feel about Cameron Young, too, you know? All right. Thanks, Kevin. See you, buddy. Thanks, Kevin. 
All right, before we get over to Sean Martin, let's talk about AG1. Uh, Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for the last year, I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel focused, energized. I just, I feel better. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take the day on. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I drink AG1 first thing in the morning, which is recommended for optimal nutri- nutrient absorption. It's, it's super easy. You fill up your shaker with extra cold water, you add a scoop of AG1, and you shake it up, and, and, it's, and I'm ready to go. If I'm running short on time, I can mix my AG1 before heading out. I'll grab a, tr- a travel pack. So like I do this a ton when I'm on the road. I've got travel packs and I bring them with me. Uh, I was just in Florida. I didn't skip a beat because I had my AG1 travel packs with me. Each is an individual serving of AG1 that's easy to mix on the go, and it helps ensure that I get my daily re- nutrients no matter what, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. Um, so if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. That's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thefrydag. That's drinkag1.com slash thefrydag. Check it out. All right, Sean Martin from the PGA Tour. Uh, I got to ask, Sean, you, you went over for the Century. You didn't stay for the Sony. Was it tough uh, leaving the Hawaii? Hawaii? Like, uh, isn't that usually a two-week trip for anybody doing content editorial how do you how do you leave one weekend you know it's always tough to leave hawaii but three kids at home had to get home you know i can't be gone for two straight weeks it's hard to start the year with two straight weeks on the road as well you know kind of takes you out of the rhythm of getting the year started getting all your ducks in a row for 2024 was happy to have kevin price over there you know that's the week that the the corn fairy tour grads the rookies debut and and there's no one that I think knows those guys better than Kevin Price as well. So for all his hard work, it felt like a fitting reward, and also just he felt like the guy that should definitely be there. Yeah, some some of the some of the rookies. But anyways, let's uh let's talk about the uh, start of the year. I'd love you know we're down done with Hawaii. What are what are some ta- big takeaways that you have for the from the start? I think two good you know redemption stories. Um, you know Chris Kirk, Grayson Murray, both. I think you know, in a game that we often talk about being a young man's game. And it really is that, you know, Kirk at 38 playing some of the best golf of his life after what he went through Grayson Murray. Um, you know, these are, are maybe self-inflicted things for, for Grayson, especially, but at the same time, I think, um, we all like redemption stories. We all like the idea of renewal. It's why this time of year, you know, new year's resolutions, we all believe in change and think people can change. And I think both those guys proved it. And I think both were really open that they hope to inspire others who might be struggling with the same stuff of, not only alcohol use, but anxiety, depression, which I think are um, things that afflict all of us at times to different degrees. They're universal. So, you know, I like both those stories. I know on social media, they're polarizing. I know some people don't buy it. Um, Some people think that, you know, Grayson should have to, you know, atone for what he's done in the past or do more time that he can't just have a clean slate. But I I like those stories. I think we all think and hope that we can change and they both proved it. Yeah, I I mean obviously it's a uh, Grayson's a polarizing figure, but I think that uh, you know 
brass tacks of it, he's always been an uber talented player. Um, anybody, you know, I remember watching him before any of the, uh, before you do really anything about it. I, I watched him, uh, man, I was thinking about this yesterday, like seven years ago in, in Columbus, um, at a corn ferry event. I was, you know, I came away. Um, I was, I was meaning to dig up some of the writing, but I came away. I, I mean, this guy's going to be a top 25 player, um, hits it long, wedges it well, puts it well, like, you know he's got all the all the requisite skills. It's just been a matter of uh, of getting out of your way, and and I think that's like one of the you know interesting aspects of any professional sport, right? I mean, so much of this is the, you think about yourself in your in your twenties, you know, and and it's getting the most out of yourself at an age where very few people are actually getting them the most out of themselves, right? And I think that's the the tricky thing about sports, right? And you, we, I think we've seen. In recent years with with social media, whether um, however you feel about social media, but I think the, just the general nature of athletes, you know, they they have had been forced to be so much um, more disciplined um, and, you know, so much you know, like the social media aspect of, of being a professional athlete is it's got to be terrifying, right? Like any misstep anywhere you go in the world can be documented easily with a smartphone. And I'm not saying this about, I'm not trying to be an apologist for Grayson Murray. Um, but what I, what I am saying is that there's never been an era that's harder to be a professional athlete than right now um, in terms of your actions and things that you say, things that you feel being held to the fire. And, you know, Grayson, I, uh, you, we'll see where this goes from here. We'll see, you know, hopefully for him personally, that he can, he can be, um, he can continue, you know, to, you know, be on the path that he's on with his golf game and personal life. And, uh, you know, if he if he does, I think that like there is like a really good golfer there. Totally. Even look at the body. Um, I mean, if you follow Grayson's career, I mean, the guy just physically yeah. who was on the 18th green there is completely different. He's obviously in much better shape. Um, I mean, we touched on the the spiritual, the emotional aspects as well. But even just physically, um, he has to be down, you know. 20, 30 pounds and looks leaner and more muscular. So physically as well, he's, he's seen the benefits and yeah, like you said, I mean, he's one of those guys that everyone was tweeting yesterday when they weren't talking about the redemption side of it, the, you know, when he was a kid, his ball sounded different and, and that sort of stuff and all of that he had done and making a corn fairy tour cut when he was 16 and that kind of stuff. So potentially a very exciting prospect if, like you said, he continues down this path. Yeah. Uh, Sean, I mean, I don't think it's unrealistic. He's in the masters now. Are we going to be talking about him in contention at Augusta? I don't know about that. And I mean, this is maybe an aggressive comp because of what Wyndham did last year, but I think there's some parallel with Wyndham Clark of a guy, again, uber talented, you know, ball sounds different, but really struggled with temper, um, anger on the golf course. And um, once he kind of really tackled that and also took some ownership of his game for him, it also involved, you know, getting rid of all his swing instructors and kind of working on it on his own. But um, that was a guy who in his own way tackled his demons, let's say, and, and that allowed the physical talent to shine through. I'm not saying that Grayson's going to win a major this year, but similar thing of a guy super talented, had to go through some stuff, some maturing, some, um, you know, emotional uh, control and regulation. And once he did, it allowed the physical talents to come out. I think that, you know, that that finish, too, is just um, symbolic of I mean, PGA Tour, how winning a PGA Tour event, how difficult it is. Right. Like Keegan, uh, Keegan Bradley's done basically everything all all day. Well, you know, all week. And it comes down to 18 
and 18 is a ceremonial par five, right? It's, it's really a long par four for, for these guys. And in order to get it done, it, it seems simple. Um, but with the wind off the left, hitting that fairway with the dog leg left is just extraordinarily difficult. And one misstep in, in you, one mediocre wedge and and you are in, you know, a playoff, a three for, uh, you know, three for one playoff. And, you know, you just see, you know, the margin for error. Um, and I think like with Grayson getting up and down, it was, I mean, it was a great, great way to finish. And I think like if you were, if this was any other player, I, I think of like JT with Phil in Mexico a few years ago, like if this is any other player, there's just so much hoopla around that up and down and in and, and, uh, the pressure uh, that was overcome there, not to mention the putt, but with Keegan, you know, it's like, God, like you, you do all this stuff, right. And it's just, you know, you hit one bad tee shot and there it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, same thing we saw in Europe as well, even with Rory takes a one shot lead to the last hole drives in the water, loses to Tommy Fleetwood by one, you know, two shot swing. I think closing it out is always hard. Anytime you're approaching kind of um, whatever your goal is, whether it's making the cut or, winning a tournament, you know, they always say, if you're trying to make the cut, don't make that your goal because you'll play towards that, that goal, um, you know, sort of oversimplified shoot for the moon. You'll get the stars maybe, but I think too, it's some credit to Tom Doak and the work he's done there at that golf course. You can speak about this much more intelligently than I can, but 18, like a lot of the holes there really flat in front, easy to run it up. So even if guys did not hit that rope hook and ran it through the fairway, you still had a, a, a fairly easier, shot for your second one because you could just hit a long iron fairway wood out of the rough and and have a chance to run it up on the green but you're not doing that anymore because really the right half of that green is is pretty dead um and it makes that shot so much harder because just the the scooter the stinger out of the rough that was available before the renovations really isn't there anymore sean sean one thing i wanted to get into i think it's a huge story in professional golf right now is the change the, the increase in the broomstick putting and the most notable perhaps was Lucas Glover last year who went from being a terrible putter throughout his career to instantly seemingly instantly really turning it on finding something when he went to the broomstick wins a couple times was in contention for a Ryder Cup captain's pick and now it feels like we're at an all-time high with broomstick putting you got Akshay Batia with one in the bag Ben on there's there's others in the field too so um curious uh, you wrote a piece on this yeah, Zalatoris is a good example. I think Aaron Wise went to it and was starting to see a little bit of success. Yeah, he was using Casey Martin's old one. But yeah, curious. Uh, you know, you wrote a little bit about this. What do you think is driving that change? Are people just putting their egos aside and trying it out? Are we at an all-time high in broomstick putting? You think more guys are going to throw it in the bag? Where do you stand on all of this? I think we are. Um, you know, um, before Lucas winning back-to-back last year. Um, I think Si Wu had to be the most recent um, player. Or sorry, then uh, you had Lucas last year. Then you had Si Wu winning last year's Sony Open with the broomstick. And before that, yeah. I think it was Adam Scott at the Genesis in 2020. And I was trying to think of a player, the last player not named Adam Scott to uh, to win with a broomstick. And I think you're looking at like Tim Clark and Carl Pedersen many years ago. So you don't see it very much. But the, the century, you had a broomstick in each of the last two groups with Ben On and Akshay Batia. Um, the Sony, two of the three guys in the last group on Saturday had it with Carl Yuan and Ben on again. Um, you know, Akshay is only 21. Will Zalatoris is still in his twenties. And I think that's a big part of it is there's strength in numbers a little bit. You never want to be the first guy, um, to roll out with one. It's definitely still kind of looked at 
in my piece, I made the comparison to kind of the granny shot for free throws in basketball. I like uh, Mal- that. Malcolm Gladwell made that um, comp in in one of his podcasts about you know Will Chamberlain one season switched the granny shot his uh, you know firing it from underhand between your legs and his free throw percentage went up like ten percent and he just ditched it a year later because he didn't like the way it looked and and Shaq was like I will never I'd rather miss all my free throws and shoot a granny style and I think the broomstick kind of is granny is a comp to the let's call it the granny shot no offense to all the grandmas out there listening um <laughs> but but I think for Lucas when you're that age you've been dealing with the yips for 10 years it's easier to make that switch you're in your 40s guys probably expect you to do it um but even him it took him 10 years of the yips before he went to the broomstick and he admitted that being stubborn was a big part of it um, I think the bigger thing is the guys like Akshay and Zalatoris doing it. Like that takes, you know, swallowing something. Um, as Ben on said, when I asked him about it, I asked why more guys are using it. And he goes, I think they're losing their egos. Um, and because he said to use it, you have to admit I'm not a good putter. And there is no really hope for me with the regular size, the regular length putter. So I think once you see a couple more guys using it, you're like, you know what? I can try it too. It's always hard to be the first guy, but now that there's like six or seven on tour and some of them are having success, um, I think you'll see more guys potentially follow. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you see guys in in other sports do, you know, and we see it in in professional golf. We see people undergo, you know, transformations to gain speed. Um, You know, they like look at what's happened with like the speed sticks and the speed training on tour forever. It was taboo. Oh, you can't try and you know, gain speed, you're going to hurt your, you know, your, your fundamentals, your, your swing is going to change and it's impossible and stupid to chase, chase speed. Right. And that changed. Right. And now, you know, Lucas Glover seems to be the, the poster boy. Uh, I, I'm struggling with the right expression here, but like the person, the change agent in a way to this. And Adam Scott for a lot of those, uh, like Siwoo and Ben on it's Adam Scott, um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of those guys. And you look at um, where uh, these guys were. Like you look at Akshay. Akshay was 183rd out of 193 players in strokes game putting last year. Ben An was in the 140s. Ben 144 out of you know one. So these guys are you know statistically very poor putters last year. You know you, if you looked at you know their charts, their stats charts, like it's very clear what's holding them back and. I mean, it seems silly that it, it it's taken this long for for golf to uncover, you know, golfers to uncover this. But I think it, it speaks a little bit to I mean, I think the tour is, you know, you've heard you hear players talk about it. It's like, you know, the tour is kind of like a, you know, a, a traveling like high school. It's like, you know, there is a stigma to doing these things. And, and maybe that's, you know, the big thing here. Right. The fact that it took Lucas 10 years before he switched is like just mind boggling that someone didn't force him to use one. I mean, I can understand a year or two, but I mean, 10 years where it's literally the one thing holding you back and it took him that long, I think just shows how hard that change is to make. And uh, Akshay talked to Lucas before he made the change, and I I thought he gave him a really good piece of advice. He said, um, don't worry, all those people who are judging you also want to be you, basically. And that Akshay said that kind of gave him some of the like, the strength to kind of go forward um, with that, which, yeah, I mean, talking back about social media, you know, you make a change with the broomstick, you know, that on Twitter, people are going to call you a cheater. They're going to zoom into photos and accuse you of anchoring. They're going to, um, it's a, just a weakness. It's another thing for people on social media to pick on as well as, um, you know, potentially even your fellow players. So there is a lot to changing to the broomstick. With one of, one of those players that we mentioned, Ben on, I wanted to get into a little bit. 
Um, I think that's a really interesting player to watch. So I'd be curious for your perspective on him, Sean. I know that you tweeted about him winning the USAM, what was it, 15 years ago now, which feels Chambers crazy. Bay? No, um, no. Uh, t- Southern Hills. Oh. Wasn't wow. he in the there mix at Chambers Bay? He was a semifinalist the next year at wow. Chambers Bay. But yeah, I think one thing to watch with Ben on in particular, he's always been an elite ball striker, really good driver of the golf ball and really good wedge player, awful putter. And when you're hitting a lot of good wedges and not converting those putts, your scoring can change a lot when you get much better at the putting. It's almost like Cam Smith, where he's a really good wedge player, really good putter. And when he added a little bit of speed, a little distance, he started giving himself more wedges. And the way that wedge and putting interacts, you can start winning. So I think Ben on somebody to watch maybe for a President's Cup this year, outside shot at the Olympics. I think he's somebody to watch. Sean, what's your perspective on Ben on? Where do you see him in the game of golf? Could he get to be a top 15, 20 player? Like where, where do you view him? He's now finished in the top 10, both starts so far this year with the better putting in Hawaii. I think he's got four top five starts. Sorry, four top five finishes in his last seven starts on the PGA Tour. He's really starting to get it going. What's your opinion of him? Uh, another guy also, I mean, he picked up 20 yards and a lot of that's the work with Sean Foley, uh, another Sean Foley reclamation project that we've had a lot of lately with, you know, Michael Kim as well. And, um, Ben always kind of played with an open club face and a little bit of a cupped wrist at the top and kind of got into a much stronger position with, uh, with the, the bowed left wrist and a stronger club face. And I think we saw that really with the, I think two irony hit, uh, into 18 that really gave him a chance to win it outright where he had about a 20 footer for Eagle. Yeah. Sick. I mean. So the the long putters definitely help, but you really can't discount the extra 20 yards as well and the work with Sean. Um, going back to the Corn Ferry Tour as well, I think um, guys sometimes benefit from that because they realize how much they actually love the game because you have to kind of fight through it. Like if you only love golf for life on the PGA Tour and that gets taken away from you, you, you better learn to you know kind of love golf for what it is because there is a drastic difference between lifestyles there and, and you've got to return to the grind a little bit. And so I think... Yeah, better putting Ben on with uh, 20 extra yards. I think you can see some of maybe that promise that came out when he was an amateur. He's the youngest player ever to win the USAM. He was 17, um, turned pro after a year at Cal. You know, he's won the BMW PGA over in Europe. So he's won big titles. He's played in one President's Cup. So, you know, we're super optimistic early in the year. It's back-to-back top fives. But I definitely think Olympics are big for him with his parents both being Olympians in table tennis and – yeah, I could see, you know, top 20. I think President's Cup, definitely. I think especially strong ball strikers are um, important for that team. And I think that um, I think he's definitely in the mix there. And just one other note on that before you get, go ahead, Andy. But he led this uh, led the PGA Tour in strokes gained around the green in the 2018-19 season. He has a good short game. Like he doesn't have a lot of holes in his game. The putting was really holding him back. And now with the broomstick, it's kind of turned around. I think he's absolutely a player you got to watch. Go ahead, Andy. Led the field in driving distance at the Sony. That's, I mean, the thing too, we've, we've talked about all this stuff. He's only 32. I mean, he feels like he has been out there forever. But it, it speaks to the youth, you know, what you said. One year at Cal, youngest USAM champion ever. It's, you know, he's only 32 years, years old. Like this is, you know, you, you could make an argument he's entering, you know, the five, the five best years of his career right now. I mean, I, I would be fascinated and I don't know if either of you have, you know, this, and I think it probably depends on the player, but just generally where, what age do most PGA tour players peak? I think it's skewing younger, but I think historically 
this is probably the 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 span of a career that you're entering that is your prime. I think you guys are right when you've talked before about it skews younger because speed's so important these days, but Ben On's almost playing like a younger version of himself because he has more speed and is hitting it so much farther. So um instead of, you know, maybe slowly losing distance or or being outpaced by the field as he grows older, he's actually gained distance. So in some ways he's playing like a younger version of himself and I think he still has room for his peak because of that whereas you know some guys might have really capitalized on their speed when they were 25 26 and then it slows down as they get older Ben On's actually the opposite another player that went to the broomstick that we mentioned Akshay Batia really strong start to his 2024 calendar year so far um one of my I don't know how much I really believe this but taking the back of my brain is what what could his future at Augusta look like I mean he's Hits the ball long and, you know, the little left-handed advantage. Don't always have to be the best putter to hoist a trophy there so or wear the green jacket. Curious, Sean, what, do you, what are your expectations for Akshay Batia in 2024, especially with that broomstick putter? I've just been really impressed with him. Um, I followed him from a distance with his junior and amateur career and then kind of progression through the ranks. Um, you know, he started last year as a Corn Ferry Tour player, not yet a, a tour member, and hadn't really interacted, interacted with him much. But... I just, he's a great talker, a great interview. He's really open. Um, I did a podcast with him at, at the century and, you know, he brought up the putting struggles. Um, you know, I didn't have to force it out of him. He went right to it. He knew that it was a problem last year or something that was maybe holding him back. And, um, at the Sanderson this fall, he talked about the pressure he was feeling after he won, um, and the anxiety there of trying to please everyone else. And, um, 21 years old, but really mature, really poised, really well-spoken. I think guys who are open about what they're going through fare better because it can be easy when you're a professional athlete to kind of maybe try to hide the struggles. I think we've seen that with both Chris Kirk and Grayson Murray, but, um, Akshay just is really open and honest about it. He talked about, uh, crying in his hotel room at some points during his pro career. Like he's not hiding anything. And I, I think for a 21 year old, that's really mature and really healthy. Um, so that's impressed me more than anything. Stat side, great ball striker. Um, I think he was around 30th in both off the tee and approach the green and only like nine guys ranked ahead of him in both stats last year. So again, the putting was the whole, seems to have addressed it. And um, an interesting conversation I had with one of Callaway's reps, they said that he, they feel like he is this old soul veteran type who he'll do whatever it takes to get better. We saw that with the long putter. He's not afraid of, of trying new things. Um, and the big thing for Akshay, I think, you know, he went to George Genkis for a while. Um, doesn't, I don't think, work with him anymore. Works with his childhood coach still. But he was this, you know, lanky bomber when he first came out, right? And that was, you know, what was the big thing on social media and why he was such a social media sensation. Um, and now he plays this really controlled fade. He gives up distance off the tee to get some more control, kind of like we've seen Keegan do in this later stage of his career. And um, yeah, for that, I just like that whole package of, Obviously, very talented. We saw the things he did um, in his junior career. And then you add in some maturity and kind of openness. And he just really wants to get better. He really knows he wants to be a pro and be the best one he can be. And he'll do whatever he can to do it. And there's no reason, I think, to think that, you know, still good stuff is ahead for him. I think maybe my favorite thing about Batia is is just the journey. And, I, you know, I, I think you could look. I think I was thinking back, like, I didn't think turning pro uh right out of high school was was the, the smartest move for him. Um, and he took his lumps. And I always appreciate, and I think almost every PGA Tour player, like every star player, goes through a period where they have some, you know, some, 
uh, I guess like, you know, they don't succeed. And I think having that right out of the gate, it, it's such a learning experience. And for him to overcome that, like we've seen struggles early, just, you know, kind of cripple players. And, you know, it's like, oh, you, I can't believe this guy never made it. You know, you obviously your mind always goes to like Ty Tryon. But with Batia, you know, he he had those struggles. He was a punching bag. You know, people were saying, like, why, why, would, why do you do this? And to be able to pull himself out of that and now, you know, where he is, like, he's a bona fide player on the PGA Tour and he's 21 years old. Most of the guys, most of the guys that are his peers are still in college. Um, if you look at a lot of the superstars of the PGA Tour, like, I mean, Victor Hovland was turning pro at 21, right? And he's younger on the younger side. John Rahm turned pro when he was 23. You know, Ludwig a uh, Ober, who everybody's, you know, obviously the new hot thing. He's 23 years old. Batia, where's Batia in two years, right? Um, and I think that's uh, like age. Age is obviously like a, a very important thing that's discussed in almost every sport. Um, and we just talked about this with the with the speed aspect. It's not as much as discussed in, in golf, but like, you know, if if a prospect's coming into the NBA, you know, the difference between 23 and, and 20, uh, 20, you know, point eight is is discussed. You know, being a young 20 versus a, an old 20 is discussed in prospects, you know, in the NFL and the NBA. Here's Batia. He's, you know, he's making his way. You know, he's going to be in the in, you know, a lot of majors this year. And he's only 21, right? That that is a uh, a very big deal here with him. Just to be clear, age should be discussed. Like there is statistical evidence to players getting better as they age and hit their prime. So it's not just a an abstract concept. I mean, there is data to support that there is a relationship between age and performance on the PGA Tour. So it's it should be a part of the conversation. Um, one question I wanted to ask you, Sean, and we've been talking about swallowing your pride a little bit and picking up the broomstick. Big part of golf, humility, right? Like accepting that you're not going to hit every shot perfectly. You've talked about it with Scotty Scheffler. Do you think that the presence and the adoption of statistics makes it easier for these guys to say, you know what? I am a bad putter. Everyone can see strokes gain putting. I've been bad there for five years. It's the stat a lot of people look at on the PGA Tour site or wherever they're getting it. Do you think that the popularity of statistics has led to, for example, swallowing your pride and grabbing the broomstick putter? I think it can. I was actually having a really interesting conversation a few weeks ago with someone, though. We were talking about also the downward spiral of um, you look at your stats and everyone can see them. And um, so, for example, there's a, a fair amount of guys on tour who we would consider great ball strikers who struggle with strokes gain putting. And how much does that almost become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, now we have this very accurate putting measurement, you know, before the stats didn't really tell the whole story. Your, you know, putts per green regulation was more impacted Total by how, how close you hit it. Total putts. Yeah. I missed all 18 greens, <laughs> shipped it to a foot at 18 putts. I'm, you know, what a great putter. <laughs> right. Um, still don't tell now, the whole story to be clear, but go ahead. <laughs> sure. Um, they tell a much better story. There we go. And I think they can become a self-fulfilling prophecy also, especially because, you know, the easiest thing to do is go on the website and look at the stats and then ask players questions around them. And I think we saw it a little bit maybe with Scotty last season of um, it. You could see how just maybe aggravating it got of just constantly being asked about the putting. But um, stats are a big part of every sport and everyone's going to ask about them. And um, 
so I think it can go either way, right? It can lead to improvement, but it can also lead to maybe this like downward spiral where just everyone's harping on your putting on social media and interviews and et cetera. And um, it can just make matters worse. Uh, so I, I don't know the answer to that. I think it definitely helps because you know, the stats are much more accurate than what you had, but it can also hurt maybe because the stats are much more accurate than what we ever had. I, I think also in general, it's it's just the relationship between good ball striker, poor putter is is an expectation thing, right? Like there, no matter what stats say, no matter what you know, it, everybody knows like whatever the it was the eight footers like under fifty percent make, right? Um, I think that's still the case, right? It's like seven feet ten inches is the fifty fifty. Point. Yeah. So, you know, you you can know this, but you feel like you expect to make that putt, right? Um regardless. And you know, expectations are the hardest thing with good putter, like with good putting. If you hit it close all day and miss, you know, miss 8 footers all day, even though it's a 50-50 prop, you feel like you are giving shots up. And I always have thought that's one of the hardest aspects of being a great ball striker is that you give yourself more more below make miss percentage putts than anybody else for birdie and you're setting yourself up to be disappointed more often does that make sense totally you're just missing more putts yeah and more more putts that you feel like you should make even though the percentages say you shouldn't and no matter what the percentages say when you have a 12 footer you you are disappointed when you miss it even though it's a less than 50 50 proposition right Totally. There also probably is, and this gets really complicated, but there there probably is a little too when you're Scotty Scheffler, your typical seven footer is probably more difficult than a lot of the seven footers a lot of other people are hitting because that's where you're leaving your shot from 180 yards often. And when you versus if you chip and it rolls past the hole, and then you leave yourself an uphill seven footer, that's gonna be an easier putt. So I do think there's probably something to the better ball strikers having more difficult seven footers on average. It's not always true, but um, there, there also could be a little something to that. It's, it's pretty hard to get specific numbers there, but I, I do think that can be happening a little bit. I hadn't really thought of this, but like the, when you're chipping around the green, it's just your familiarity and interaction with the green, right? Exactly. It's a huge advantage of seeing the ball roll. Even if it's like not perfect, people talk about, Oh, it rolled right past the hole. He saw the, he saw the break. Even if it's not perfect, having a shot that you hit around a whole location is such an advantage to see the ball roll. Like people, oh, like the, he's going to get a good teach from this putt. You can get good teaches all around the green, right? Like it, a, a player off angle from you, you see the ball just kind of trick. Like you learn from every putt that you watch on a green. Um, and I think that is like you all eight footers are not made equal. And if you hit an eight foot, like what you said with Scheffler hitting a shot from 180 yards to eight feet is not the same as hitting a chip to eight feet from around the green. You are way more educated and way, you have a way better understanding of the whole location and the way it interacts with the, with the green. Also, if you chip it to seven feet, there's a good chance you're putting last among your group, possibly um, another angle for teach and, and shot like does treat all seven footers the same. It just says that, you know what? There was a 50, 50% make probability on this seven footer. So that's what we're going to assign it. It doesn't take into, um, it does some slight course correction for like how the field is putting. So, but kind it doesn't, it kind yeah, but it doesn't account for like, this was downhill. This was uphill. This had two feet of break. This had no break. So 
Um, it just kind of hopes that over the course of a season that that will all kind of average out. But um, if you are facing more difficult seven footers, then yeah, it'll penalize you. I got a question for you guys. Um, both, uh, both statistics, uh, uh, big statistics people, you know, I'd say on the spectrum in of different statistics, ways. Yeah. I, you guys are both very much further away, uh, away from center than I am. And maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe uh, we're extremists. Maybe, yeah. I would say that you're both, uh, both on the extreme side. What's the next, I, I would keep waiting. Cause like you just, you just, illuminated exactly what i hate about strokes gain is that it treats everything the same and and it's a game golf is a game of like micro details and that's why i don't like stats is like if i have a heater lie in the rough and it's downwind and i have just a nuclear flyer that is not the same shot as if i have like a lie that is very predictable in the rough into the wind like that those are drastically different shots in the in strokes gain is unable to so like where is the frontier going that we get to the next level data like it like baseball got to where i feel like we've been stuck at this remedial say stage of data for the last you know basically 10 years joseph give us all your secrets <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i mean i get this this question a lot it's kind of my wheelhouse andy i think the general answer i'd give is I think the next evolution in public discourse is understanding a lot of the shortcomings of strokes gained. I will say for a fact, I think we're over-reliant on strokes gained and people are blind to its weaknesses and that it should be viewed within the context of other statistics and it is not gospel. There's Hold on, uh, it's not blackjack? Well, I, there's a balance there. Like Stats are really useful and I, I don't want to dismiss strokes gained, but... I think in general, there's a it, there's a, absolutely an over-reliance on strokes gain. Tons of examples, right? Your strokes gain around the green is dependent on you missing greens, right? If you hit every green, you never chip, it's going to be zero. Like there's a lot of stuff you can nitpick about it. So I think you could make some better adjustments. You could apply a little bit of a better make percentage to some of these statistics. Like, you know, a seven-footer that's downhill and breaking a bunch. You could give it a different expected value. But I, I really think the key is to understand the shortcomings of strokes gained and use it within the context of other stats. Um, those have their shortcomings too. I don't like proximity. That's a, that's a pretty bad statistic. It's like my, maybe my least favorite stat. But viewing them all together versus just looking at a number like strokes gained putting and thinking it explains the whole story because it absolutely does not. I do think the next iteration of Shotlink will get more into you know parsing out the differences in seven footers and, and assigning proper value to those. Um, and part of that is because of the cameras around the greens that, you know, you may see when you're at an event, there are kind of, um, four like black towers around the greens. And, and the cool thing with those, they also measure like descent angle and rollout, kind of like we have now with tee shots. Like when you go on tracker, there's a small little X where the ball landed and then rolled out to. And I think, um, again, this is one that there will be a lot of variability, but I think it would be fun to be able to see like, Hey, on, um, 17 at Wiley for the field, you know, who has the highest and lowest average descent angle, whose balls roll out the most, um, and at least give some idea of, um, players from different, um, different yardages, their trajectories, obviously you're going to alter it a lot with wind and things like that. But I think over time with enough of a sample size, you know, even just getting shots from a fairway, it'll help us tell, you know, who has the highest, um, whose balls are landing at the, you know, um, highest angle of descent or, or rolling out the least and, and give us some idea into the trajectory that, um, players are hitting into the greens, which I think is a huge part of 
you know, even with added distance, right, you're hitting shorter clubs, which allow you to hit higher shots to stop more quickly and access more pins. And I think that that's somewhere that um, the cameras around the greens could help us um, look into. But I think also there has to be a lot of caveats around those because you have to use it properly because you very well, I think it could be used improperly if you just take kind of averages from, you know, a couple events. You got to be really careful when you start getting into what is the true make probability of this seven footer on this hole. You can get some funky numbers if you don't build that responsibly. So yes, there is a significant trade-off between specificity and sample size. It feels like we need a golf ball that has uh, golf balls that have like chips in them that tell you all the data, right? Because that, it's like, yeah, then all of a sudden you could, you could be able to look at like the exact uh because i think about it i watch shop shot link people it's like is this putt really eight feet ten inches right <laughs> like where where did the ball land in the fairway right the, it's a volunteer like no more no that's what i was gonna say this year it's now um it's now no a PJ tour, pj tour employee on on each hole uh for shot link um and a wow. new system that's that's more accurate as well so i think you know that's a big Im- improvement there Tour employee. That's straight from the uh, source. This is big. This is big news. All any right. Other breaking Sean. news about technologies that have come to the PJ Tour this year, Sean. You want uh, to, you I'm honestly, other? I'm ignorant, uh, but I did see a press release. Um, Arcos uh, is now you can now use it in a tour event. Um, I don't know how many you know players players will, but um, I don't. And I honestly am I've never used it myself, but uh, I'm curious what data capabilities may be there. Um, and also, I just you think a player's going to use Arcos? I don't know. We'll see. But honestly, I do wish we had access to like a Wardle Molinari spreadsheet. Because I think the biggest thing that's lacking in the data is you don't know a player's target, right? Um, he might have aimed forty feet left of the flag, pushed it to five feet. Great shot. And obviously, knowing your misses is a humongous part of golf. Knowing your tendencies. Um, but I do wish some sort of like somehow we could have some sort of target uh, and intent information. You know what the tour could do when they when they raise all that private equity cash and all that uh, all that uh, piff cash, they could buy out uh, Dodo Molinari's business or Hunter Stewart's business. I might. Uh, it's not a bad idea. I might put I might, it on the list. I'll of, float that one. Yeah. They're gonna have. They're gonna have to spend a lot of cash. So, <laughs> all right, Sean. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, chatting about uh, about your time in in Hawaii and uh, the start of the year. Uh, people can find you. You wrote a great article about the long putter. That's on pgatour.com. And uh, if you got anything, do you have anything else to plug? Not right now. No, I'll uh, I'll make sure to tag you in some tweets if I need you to boost anything. But nothing right now. Just you know, recovering back to the mainland, planning out our 2024 uh, should be a good year. All right, Sean. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for hopping on, Sean. Thanks, guys. All right, big thanks to Kevin Clark and Sean Martin for their time with me and Joseph. Uh, And thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt, for for grinding on MLK Day. Um, And a quick reminder, we've got Friday events that are live, and uh, I'm really excited about a bunch of them. Uh, I saw that uh, Lake Merced just won Best Transformation from Golf Digest. So we have an event on uh, in, in early March out there. An awesome chance to see um, the kind of Alistair McKenzie restoration. You know, it, they couldn't get everything back that was undertaken by Gil Hance. Um, 
and you know you can build a whole trip around it. it uh, you know, come spend a weekend in the San Francisco area. Whether you go up to uh, Napa Wine Valley, I remember a lot of people did that last year. They did wine country before, uh, and then came came down and did the event. So it's an awesome trip. You could hang out in San Francisco. I think we're gonna do some stuff beforehand at Golden Gate Park. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's a great way to build a trip, a great time to get away from the Northeast or the Midwest. You're in the doldrums of winter, that, that March period where it's, where it's really rough. So uh, check out the events and everything we've got going on um, from our event side of things. And thanks for listening to another episode. We will be back later this week. <laughs>